Hey guys, welcome to episode five of the Next Women Up podcast. We're going to be diving into some post-draft analysis today, talking about this week's hottest headlines, and we also have a great guest, um, Carmen Vitali, and part of the editorial staff on the Buccaneer. So she's going to get into some of the great projects she's worked on and, you know, of course, the amazing Super Bowl year that the Buccaneers just had. So, Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited for this episode. So we're going to start off by recapping the headlines for the week. Um, One of the most recent headlines is the Jacksonville Jaguars signing Tim Tebow, which is a very hot headline with a lot of different reactions. A lot of controversy here. Not a lot of happy fans, I think. Yeah, it's a weird thing, honestly. I mean, Tim Tebow is 33 years old. He's never played tight end, and he hasn't played a full season since 2012. Now he's expected to just bounce back. Yeah, and I mean, he's a good all-around athlete. He was, you know, a very athletic quarterback, and he played baseball for the Mets minor league team. But it's kind of just a weird signing because I feel like there are better options at tight end available. Right. And mm-hmm. I understand maybe it's like a reunion with Urban Meyer, but it just, yeah. it, that doesn't seem like – a good reason to be signing someone <laughs> yeah you know? I feel like yeah exactly that's what a lot of people are saying I feel like there's that bias there because of the previous relationship and you know people are saying could he relieve pressure off um, the quarterback but I feel like overall and I remember writing about him when I was covering the Mets um, for an internship in college um, when he was um, in the minors but I think like overall some people are speculating that this could also be just a publicity stunt to kind of get ticket sales up after COVID sure and that's not you know a a bad thought I mean Tim Tebow is always going to be that publicity name I mean that's kind of why the Jets signed him back way back when when they had you know five quarterbacks on their roster you know his name brings headlines my other thought too um which kind of comes from like me being a little bit inside on you know with a football team right is that there wasn't a ton of guys to go around this year because a lot of guys decided to go back to school. So maybe they just need more bodies. I mean, I don't know what the contract looks like. I hope it's not a huge contract, but if it's a very, you know, if it's a minimum wage contract or something along that, maybe they're just like, you know, he'll come in, he'll be a good athlete. He'll compete for a spot on the team, but he may not make it. We just need bodies. Yeah, that's a great point. That could be it. I mean, I wonder, but I definitely think Urban Meyer has a has such a favorable like outlook of him. Yes, a hundred percent. So we're gonna talk about another quarterback uh, who's a little bit better than Tim Tebow. A little, slightly, slightly Um, better. The twenty twenty MVP, Aaron Rodgers, on the I think it was the night of the first day of the draft, said that he wants out of Green Bay. Right. I remember that. All yeah. My, so all my friends that were fans were like crying. Yeah. So um, it's a year after the Packers drafted quarterback Jordan Love with the 31st pick in the 2020 NFL draft. They drafted Love at a time when Rodgers may have started his decline, but he did not start his decline in 2021, his third NFL MVP award. When the franchise initially refused to offer him a long-term extension, which would kind of negate the love pick. The quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, said that he wanted a trade. At this moment, Green Bay is refusing to grant Rodgers that request. Rodgers has even mentioned the possibility of retiring if he cannot come to an agreement with Green Bay or get traded. Now, this is pretty, you know, crazy to me. You'd think that as Green Bay, you'd do anything to make your star quarterback happy. I mean, yeah. this guy's a future Hall of Famer. You'd hold on to him. Yeah. And, like, how is that going to affect the other star players? Because now I'm reading about, like, Devontae Adams and him weighing in. And then is that going to affect, like, him and his goals of the team? Right. Because he's had these side conversations with Aaron Rodgers. And he won't obviously share what they've talked about. But he wants to play under Aaron Rodgers. Right. And here's the thing, too. Like, for a while the management in Green Bay hasn't really taken Aaron Rodgers' perspective into consideration, which I think is crazy when he's your most valuable asset. You know, I remember when they were – I think they they released Jordy Nelson, and that was, like, 
you know, his number one guy and they didn't even tell him about it. Um, And then they haven't really surrounded him with weapons. They rare, they haven't drafted a wide receiver in the first round in a very long time. Then they take Jordan Love, essentially what everyone thinks and he thinks as well to be his replacement without even consulting him about it. Now, Aaron Rodgers hasn't taken that on the love, you know, from like sources within the organization have said that, um, you know, he's been really good to Jordan and like mentoring him and stuff because it's not his fault, you know, but they're they're not making any effort to surround him with with receivers and weapons that'll help him which is just kind of a slap in the face to someone who is so freaking talented it's kind of crazy too that he might consider retiring if he can't figure it out with them i know and i hate that i hate that too i would really be upset to not see him play again that's just a shitty way to go out you know i know like wishing the best for him you have our support Aaron. carly sorry (laughs) come on the podcast yeah seriously um so next we're going to talk about um, Nikki Collin to Baylor. So Nikki Collin is a former WNBA Atlanta dream coach. And she said that she couldn't bypass the opportunity to return to the college game in a high level program when the Baylor job open. Um, she said, I love my time in the W and I will be the biggest fan going forward. She said that in an interview with ESPN. What drew me obviously is you can recruit the best of the best. You can win a national championship at Baylor. But it also is about being a part of something bigger, being a part of an athletic family. Now, Sarah, you can kind of go into this a little more. I mean, um, she does talk about that she'll be replacing a very legendary coach, Kim yeah. Mulkey. A lot of pressure with that one. I mean, I wonder, like, sometimes I always, when these things happen, you know, they interview some of the players on, you know, on Baylor and they have their opinions. But I feel like a lot of the Baylor players will be so sad to lose Kim. Um, yeah you know yeah and I mean she coached for 21 seasons and she yeah. went she finished with a record of 632 and 104 which is a wow. crazy <laughs> um win loss percentage yeah um and three titles wow. yeah and Colin commented on that uh when asked you know kind of taking over that role and stepping into Mulkey's shoes she said ultimately I'm going to do it my way that's how I'm going to sink or swim or succeed or fail. If I try to be Kim, I'm 100% going to fail. If I try to be Nikki, I feel pretty good about my chances to succeed. That's perfectly well said. And it, I feel like oh, so many people got this question. I remember, you know, Dame had an interview once and they were like, you know, you look like Steph Curry out there today. And he was like, no, I look like myself out there today. Like, right. you, you can't, you know, you, you're not going to beat anybody else but yourself. And she does have an elite basketball mind. So I have faith in her abilities. No. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, I feel like people get asked that question a lot. You know, how do you, are you going to compare to this great person? It's like, well, they are great, but I'm not them. I'm me and I'll be great on my own. Yeah. Or in and my own way. Yeah. And she acknowledged, um, she acknowledged Kim's dominance. So as long as she acknowledged it and she's going to put her own, you know, flair forward, I have, I have confidence. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. For sure. So we want to talk a little bit about the draft and kind of some hot takes and surprises. Um, the first one that stood out to me was Trey Lance taken at third overall by San Francisco. So San Fran traded up for this pick prior to the draft. Um, and I was a little surprised, honestly. Um, I thought he was the fourth ranked quarterback of the group behind um, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. Um, so it's a little bit of a surprise. Um, Lance is a very raw, raw talent, but he is a very talented and smart player. The thing about Lance is he's has, which makes him raw, is he's had very limited experience. He's played at North Dakota State, which is an FCS school. Um, so it's just a very interesting pick. And it's likely that he will start for San Francisco because the confidence in Jimmy G has tapered off in recent months. Wait, 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 wait pause. You're going Sadly. to talk, ne- you're going to speak negatively about Jimmy G. I know. I was. Wow. Uh, I and know. This is being recorded. This is going to be open to the public. That's crazy. I That's know wild. he's gonna he's going to hear this and be like, "Wow, my woman, you lost your hell. You, you lost, lost your chance. chance with me. It's <laughs> over." Carly's president of the Jimmy G fan clubs. This is a big deal for her. I do love him, but it's true. Like, come on, the man. Like, it's he's gonna go. Like, it's just the way it is. Okay. Um. So, 
so I think Lance will be the starter, which is a lot of pressure on him for someone who has had very limited experience. But the thing is, Lance is a very smart player. And if anyone can make this work, it's Kyle Shanahan. Um, He is definitely a very good coach and, you know, he knows what he wants. And, and if this, if he saw the correct skill set in Lance um, that he can, you know, build a franchise around, then, you know, he's going to make it work. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because if you look at the other quarterbacks taken later, you know, Fields fell to Chicago and the Patriots took Mac Jones, it'll be interesting in a few years to see who had the better pick this year um, and if Lance was really that high of a value at third overall. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then if we talk about um, Fields, I think that was a really good pick by Chicago. They traded up for him. I think you're getting a QB that you can really help – that can really help rebuild that franchise. He's um, very, very talented athletically. Um, And then, of course, Mac Jones went to the Patriots. Um, They really needed a quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. I knew Cam Newton wasn't going to cut it as the starter again. Um, You know, unfortunately, he's kind of at the end of his career. And it's sad to say, but he's definitely not as talented as he once was. Um, And Jared Stidham is not their future. Um, And Mac Jones is a talented pocket passer that Belichick can develop. And, you know, Mac Jones played under Steven. He won that role as starting quarterback. And um, so it'll be interesting to see what Belichick does. Um, a couple other things that I, you know, want to touch on, uh, Cincinnati takes Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU at fifth overall. He'll be reunited with former LSU quarterback, Joe Burrow. He is very, very talented. And I think they'll have a great, you know, reunion and they'll, they have great chemistry, but it is a little bit of a controversial pick because, since he could have taken Panay Siebel out of Oregon, who's an offensive tackle, and improved Burrow's protection. Last year, Burrow's protection was shit. Like, you saw how hard he got hit, and his knee was, like, destroyed. It is, but I am excited about this one because to think about him, Tyler Boyd, and then Higgins, it's like, that's exciting. Yeah, and it, it's super exciting. I just hope he has time to get the ball out. I know. I really do. Yeah, no, you're really concerned about this man's well-being. Yeah. Seriously, he's... for real. Yeah. For real. I'm, I met him at the comment last year. Very nice guy. I don't want anything to Really? Happen. Did you really meet him? Oh, wow, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. At, uh, that's awesome. And we had to do, like, interviews with them. And so I uh, they shook his hand. It was like, hey, come talk to this coach. Uh, you know. Wow, that's because you know, sometimes these guys, like, they can be intimidating. Sometimes they have big egos. So it's nice to hear that he was down to earth. Oh yeah, it was it was very funny interaction. <laughs> um, he had like, I had to like get him to come talk to us. A lot of people want to talk to him, so I kind of like waited for him and like outside the bathroom. Not creepy at all. Probably you you stalked this man. You tracked him down in the bathroom. But I was competing against other scouting assistants, so it was a big deal. Um, and so he comes out of the bathroom, and I go up to him, and I say, hi, you know, Carly Hoffman Bucks, uh, one of our coaches want to talk to you. And he's like, Joe Burrow shakes my hand. and uh, He goes, Joe Burrow, as if you don't know. He's <laughs> right? like, oh, really? He really? shakes my hand, and he goes, he goes, sorry, it's wet. It's, I washed my hands. It's not, don't worry. <laughs> it's just wet from washing my hands. This is your interaction with him? That was this my interaction with him. Wow. I'm sure he remembers this moment fondly and he yeah, thinks about it. Just as fondly as I do. <laughs> yeah. Um and so speaking of Panay Sewell, he falls to Detroit at seventh overall. And the Chargers take Rashawn Slater, another offensive tackle at thirteenth overall. Both steals, in my opinion, both top tackles in the draft. Sewell was projected a top five pick and Slater was projected um, by some as a top 10 pick so definitely both those teams improving their protection um, for their quarterbacks now the last um, pick I want to touch on is the Raiders selecting Alabama's lineman Alex Leatherwood at 17th overall um, he can play guard and tackle to many this was a surprise Leatherwood was not ranked as a first round pick but pick is very characteristic of John Gruden's draft pattern. Um, so it's 
it's a surprise because he was taken so high, but at the same time, this is kind of a John Gruden. He has John Gruden's name written all over it. <laughs> like his personal brand. Yeah, so we'll see how this um, plays out. So those are some of the, the picks. I would love to hear about, you know, your experience, obviously, being in the draft room. I think that this is something that's interests a lot of people, Carly. You know, what do you look at? Do you take in consideration, like, the ESPN rankings? Do you, like, how does that day work from morning till the evening? Sure, absolutely. So prior to the draft, like, months before, you, we put together a spreadsheet of mock drafts. Uh, it's just as a note to reference, we don't really – you know, taken to the consideration that seriously, um, because sometimes, you know, these quote unquote experts, their, their mock drafts can kind of change with what's hot in the media. Right. Um, you know, when a player gets a lot of hype, they'll kind of like put a guy higher when he may not necessarily deserve that hype. So you can't really, um, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, but almost, but you do want to see what they're saying. I think also it's important to look because they may have a source at a team and that's why they're putting that. So right. you don't want to completely ignore it. Um, but prior to the draft, and this is like leading, like the week leading up, the whole draft board gets set. Everything, all reports are in, all the information we need is in, all the medical information is in. So that way, when we're ready to pick, you it's a no-brainer. You know who you're picking. It's already in order. It's the top guy in that position or whatever it is. And there's no question, so you can make that call. Um, basically, you're doing all the prep beforehand so everything goes smoothly. And it is very exciting, you know, when that call is made and everyone is celebrating together because um, it's your whole year of work coming to fruition. Um, but you, we go in a few hours before hang out and kind of until the draft starts, we, um, all the scouts are together. We see, um, the picks going in, um, as they're getting called in. And this year it was definitely a lot of hurry up and wait since we were the, um, last pick. Um, so it was a lot of like, let's just hang out and see what the other teams do. So it was kind of fun, you know, it was, a, um, you know, as being the Super Bowl champs, it's a little less pressure, especially because the Bucks re-signed all their starters. So there weren't a lot of, you know, big needs. It was kind of like, let's just take the best guy available, which is a right. fun way to draft. <laughs> For sure. And like, how, how late did you get home? The first night, I guess it was like one o'clock in the morning. 12 30 one o'clock oh my god that's crazy yeah it's a long night it's a very long night um but it seems fun though to be with your friends it is really fun i mean you kind of like just you hang out because all the work is done exactly and it's like do you in that room i'm sure like you know you work for the bucks and i'm sure a lot of different scouts have various um fandoms so i'm sure they're also excited for their other you know their teams that they're fans as well aside from the bucks yeah people people have you know friends that work for other teams and that kind of stuff so it is interesting to see yeah to see what the other teams do for sure so thanks carly for sharing that because i think a lot of people um, you know, saw the Instagram post we did of, you know, walking through Carly's draft. And if anybody's interested, we did post a TikTok um, on our next Swimming Up podcast where you can kind of get a little inside scoop about Carly's draft day experience. Yeah, absolutely. Go check it out, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on Instagram, it's a reel. So go check it out there, too, at Next Woman Up podcast. Uh, so we're going to um, get into our next topic. Um, I don't know, Sarah, if you want to hit on some Mother's Day stories from the weekend that happened in sports. I do like these. These are kind of my my thing. Although I don't yeah. think I don't think any sports Mother's Day story will ever top Kevin Durant's speech because it's so funny. When I was looking through tweets this year, everyone kept using the um, MVP Kevin Durant Mother's Day. Yes, gift. it's oh, just legend. Yeah. Like nothing will ever top that to me. Yeah. Honestly. Um, but I did see some. So. Everybody, obviously, you know, Serena Williams is a huge, a huge name. And I love the way her husband supports her as a mother, um, as an athlete. I think just their storyline as a family. 
and the way he puts he prioritizes her and her career has always been like really amazing to watch and of course he honored her on mother's day and their daughter um one of the bigger headlines is that carl anthony towns you know lost his mom uh in 2020 yeah. jacqueline she you know she died From due COVID. to complicated yeah. exactly and that was heartbreaking so you know he had an emotional with his dad carl senior and to, to watch him like honor her it was it was really it was really tough to watch honestly it was heartbreaking so but i liked seeing their family come together um and then i saw a lot of teams made videos the blazers had a good one you know ennis Cantor. Everyone, a lot of people know his story, um, and he hasn't seen his mom in seven years. So wow. there's, you know, all these different, you know, yes, there's all different storylines where some people, their moms live far away. Some of them are seen after every game. But regardless, I love these human interest pieces because, like, you know, it's kind of like Carmen, Carmen's going to touch on this. But to see the human element is something that we all don't always see. People just see them as athletes. I like to learn about their families as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it helps to paint the picture of, the athlete, um, you know, and it, I think it's so important to talk more about the person um, that these athletes are and not just, you know, their stats because they're they're way more than their stats. Exactly. So we want to get into talking about um, our title topic for the episode. So we want to talk about being the only girl in the room and what it's like to be one of the boys, especially in our careers. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, not, you know, a secret that um, sports is a male-dominated industry and most of the time women are the minority in a room and I, you know, we're trying to break that a little bit, but it's the reality right now. And there's always, and I will go into both, but there's positives and negatives, I think, of being the only woman in the room and sure. I think me and Carly have could probably tell you like 25 stories about this topic but obviously I'll just share some I never thought about this too much until college I took a digital sports class and I was so excited I was on a favorite class of course I was only one of the only girls in it and the way that I was treated by some of the male classmates was you know a little different than others and this happened at the NBA to me too, but something that I've noticed, and I think other, and other women actually that work at the NFL have told me the same thing. Even though you're working or you're in a sports class, you're working for a league, right? And you're doing the same exact role as everyone around you. I noticed that when the TV was off, when working was over and people were having personal conversations, you know, who did you choose in your fantasy league? Or who do you think is going to be a top draft pick? When we would have those sidebar conversations I noticed no one was really asking my opinion as much people are asking some of my male colleagues their opinions and even in class and it's like crazy because you people assume but but what do you mean like you work for the league you're you're working alongside them and we do and they respected me but those personal conversations were just a little bit different for me yeah and I, I get that too because in college as a sports management major um there were I think you know three girls in my incoming class <laughs> Oh my god. Um, yeah, so you definitely, you know, felt that and you kind of just had to, you know, establish yourself and prove why you were there. Um and I, I found that because it I think it was like a sports management, you know, it was a sports management class for our major that, you know, guys were respectful of that and were like, Wow, if she's, you know, majoring in this, then she must be serious. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I said like there's some it's not all negative like you know you have those moments and you hear about even like sexual harassment and harassment in the workplace and a lot of leagues and it really saddens me and I've I never experienced it directly but I have colleagues who have and I was fortunate enough that the team I worked for at SiriusXM at the NBA I was treated with nothing but um utter respect for my um managers my male managers and whatnot but um I think that some of the I don't want to say benefits but some of the I guess cool parts of that was just like having coworkers to relate to and you have like those late nights and you really really bond so overall it was positive but sometimes you do feel like a little isolated and there's only sometimes there are topics that were a little bit exclusive to just males and my colleagues definitely did not do that intentionally but it was just things that I wouldn't I couldn't really contribute to I guess um but sometimes just how it is but I think that seeking a female mentor within the organization you're in is is invaluable I can't really recommend it enough because any issues I ever had they would handle them with so much more grace than I would because 
they just have years and years of experience doing it. And when you're in those tough situations, if you're ever like, wow, you know, this person, this male colleague said something maybe uncomfortable, or I feel isolated in the moment you sometimes want to react. But I think getting advice from your mentors, you can do it in like such a professional way and still get like a favorable outcome for you. So I would always urge you to like go to a mentor before even reacting to a situation. And that's really, really great advice. Um, you know, someone that has a little more experience than you and can guide you in those type of difficult situations. Um, like Sarah, I've, you know, haven't had much negative encounters, which I think is good. You know, I've never felt out of place or disrespected by um, any, you know, staff I've worked with, which I'm really lucky because, you know, you do hear the stories and Sarah touched on that. Um so I'm really lucky that I've only been, you know, welcomed with, to a team and respected and my opinion has been respected. Um, and I'm really lucky, but I think, you know, like Sarah said, there are moments where you do feel different and isolated just because you are, you know, and that's not a bad thing. You are unique and it's, you know, great that you bring this new perspective. Um, but that on the flip side, you do feel that you, are different and you can be isolated at times. But I think it's so important to remember why you are in that room and that you earned a place in that room and then you earned your spot at the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, you know, I, I think a lot of times, especially in the football world, people can question your ability to do what you're doing because you never played the sport. That's such a good point. And yeah. men play tackle football and it's very rare for women to play tackle football. We just, yeah. you know, your body's not built for that and you don't get the opportunity. So, but that doesn't, you know, just because I never played the sport doesn't mean my, I'm less knowledgeable on the sport, you know, that, that I don't think it correlates quite th- like that. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely on that. And um, I think like something that, it gets really misrepresented sometimes and like I've written countless papers about this is I think the way people look at a female so obviously me and Carly have worked in sports we're also fans right and when you look at the way people project female fans in commercials digital advertising marketing it's usually you know maternal it's a mother it's a girlfriend it's a wife doing a favor right by going to the game and doing a favor and it's like or, you know, the sparkly pink jerseys, the, yes. those stereotypes. And it's like, and I think that's what some of the guys in the class in college thought of me. Like, you know, you're, are you doing this to be cool to please? Are you trying to other? impress someone? Yeah. Or... And it's like, yeah. And it's, it's crazy to me because it's like, you know, me and Carly just fell in love with the game like everyone else did. So I think sometimes the way that certain um, advertisements depict female fans is just a misrepresentation. I remember I wore a jersey to school one day. I was wearing my Dame jersey and someone, one of the guys in class asked me like, oh, did you pick that player because you think he's attractive? And I'll never forget that like story. It really like upset me because obviously yeah. nothing to do with it. Just my, I just like the Blazers and I love Dame's game, but you will get those comments. And I used to take it to heart, but now I just shrug it off because I know he doesn't know my background or where I'm at, but I do. Sure. So I'm, I'm fine with it. Right. That's a great point. You know, kind of like it, you have to shrug it off and, you know, Carmen will touch on this with our in our interview with her that like you kind of just shrug off some of those comments and you because you know you you know why you're wearing that jersey or you know why you're sitting in that room or you know why you got the job exactly and I think that's so so important um and just to continue to remember you know don't stop using your voice and your opinions are just as valid a hundred percent you know and I think and I think like things are getting more normalized like I remember when Carly became an assistant scout and the way I remember a lot of people being so shocked that I was friends just like wow you know your friend's a female she's an assistant scout that's so cool and it's like yes it's so cool but since I've known Carly since I was a kid I already knew that she had that knowledge and drive and ethic work ethic but obviously people kind of saw it as like oh my god but she's a girl and I'm like Yes, but like this doesn't even right. su- doesn't stop, surprise me. Right, that needs to stop being yeah. like a like a yeah. ca- a caveat. Because I wasn't surprised. Like, because obviously I know you. Like, if any- anybody who knows you, who truly knows right. you, wouldn't be surprised. Right. But the average person's like, oh, but how? But wow! Like, did did someone like teach her and prep her? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, she's known. Like, she prepped herself, and this is something that she's done since she was a kid. Sure, and I think you know if you go back to our episode with Coach Lori Locus, that's our um, second episode. 
you know, we, we talked to her about how, you know, someday we hope that it's not the, you know, the Marlins hired a female general manager. It's like the Marlins hired a new general manager, right. you know, or the, the Bucks hired a female coach. No, they hired a coach, you know. Exactly. You know, you really hope, and like, I don't ever want to downplay or undermine the achievements of women being minorities in certain industries. But like Carly said, I hope that it, the questions that Carly gets are more so like, you know, wow, how did you prepare for that? Or what got you into the sport? Not just like, oh my God, that's so crazy. You're a woman. Like, what's it like being a woman? You know, you hope you get other questions too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's like a really great point. So we're going to wrap up here and go to our interview with Carmen. So we will see you guys there. Staff writer of digital content Carmen Vitali has been with the Buccaneers for the past five years and is here today to talk about her time covering the team. Hey Carmen. Hey guys. Hi we're guys. really happy to have you on and we're so excited to get uh, to know you a little better and for our listeners to get to know you. Um, so we want to kind of unpack, yeah, of course we want to kind of unpack, um, your kind of inspiration to why you got into sports, something about your childhood, maybe, or is there a specific moment or person that you can point to that helped lead you to where you are now in your career in sports? Yeah, I, I don't really remember what got me into football or sports in general. Um, when I was a kid, I just always remember watching football with my dad so if there's a singular person that's been instrumental in all of this it's definitely been him but I do remember the day that I was watching an Eagles game with him actually with my uncles my cousins and I noticed that were people there were people on the sidelines that weren't players or coaches and I asked them I was like who are those people and my dad looked at me and by that point I had been like writing stories on my little computer or whatever for years at that point, like about Sparkle the Mermaid or whatever it was, because I was like nine years old at the time. And um, he's like, well, you can write stories about your favorite team. And I was like, oh, really? And so that's kind of when it got in my head that this could be something that I could do. And then uh, as it kind of progressed, I started to see and immerse myself more into the, the job and just loved it even more. And I think that's what's so cool about sports is that like you can, it can be something that you love when you're four or five, six, seven years old. And it carries with you your entire rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And for people that don't know, you're a Chicago girl. And that's like a great place yeah. to like grow up, like loving sports. You know, the Bears are such a historic yeah. franchise and having Wrigley right there. So that's really cool. Yeah. It was yeah. it was something that like wasn't an option. I don't remember it being an option for me to like <laughs> sports. Like everybody in Chicago was just like so diehard, even though the teams were so pathetic at that point. <laughs> I think we had like one good pro sports team when I was growing up, but it's okay. We loved them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you're now in a more editorial role before you were doing marketing. Uh, what made you transition and, you know, why journalism and writing specifically? Well, I'm probably not the best person to ask about this because like writing is just something that's always come naturally to me. And it's something that I've just been good at. Um, what really drew me in was football. Like football is what I love. I love the game itself. Um, I wanted to get as close as I possibly could to the game. So I did start as the team's copywriter, but that was kind of as my way of getting in. Um, but I had had it in my head ever since I was that little girl in that living room watching those football games um, that I wanted to be a sports writer. And so I thought that that was kind of the closest I could get to the game with the skill set I had. Um, and it was, you know, not that I even really saw women like sports writers growing up. I feel like the sports writers I followed were all men. Um, but that was just something that I had had in my head my, like my whole life. So when the opportunity arose at the Bucks. Uh, I jumped on it <laughs> and that's what led me to this role. And they were kind enough to offer me the opportunity. And it's something that I've been now doing for, that was my third season. Yeah. Third season. You kind of hit on a little bit about how, when you were growing up, there weren't a ton of women writers or women in your position. Um, it's no secret that sports is a male dominant industry. Can you speak to being one of the few women in a room? Have you, how you have handled that during your career and if you have any advice for establishing yourself and your opinions in those situations. Yeah, again, I don't know that like 
I just don't think I ever really thought about it. Like I go into a room knowing that if I'm there, I'm supposed to be there, or at least that's kind of the mentality you go in with. And I feel like that you kind of have to, you can get in your head really easily if you kind of start noticing like, oh shoot, I am the only girl. But by nature, for as much as I talk for a living, um, I'm really, I like li like listening. Listening is a huge part of my job for me. And so when I'm in those situations, when I'm in those rooms, I feel like you can learn a lot about a person. You can learn a lot about your situation by listening. So I don't really feel the need to assert myself necessarily, unless there's something that deserves it. So like, if there's something that I believe in with conviction, that's not being addressed or whatever, I, again, I just kind of don't think about the fact that I'm a girl in the room, the only girl in the room. But um, other than that, I also like to be in rooms where I'm not the smartest person in the room. I like to be able to learn from the people that I'm in the room with. And if that's the case, then I'm spending a lot more time listening. And again, you just, you learn so much even about your own role or about the game or whatever it is, but you can also learn a lot about how people are going to treat you and how you should adjust accordingly by listening to them and seeing what kind of tone of voice they're taking and how they treat you. I think, what they say speaks volumes towards that kind of stuff. And you can't get that unless you just sit there and listen. So I do that a lot. I sit there and listen a lot, even when it comes to like being at the bar and I hear guys talking sports or whatever. And I'm like, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. But I don't say anything. I just think it's, it's kind of amusing at that point. It's actually yeah. hysterical. Like, I feel like Sarah and I can hundred percent relate to that. Yeah. Ever since high school, that's been a constant theme. Right. Um, or like guys will always try to quiz you the moment you say that, you know, you're into sports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like when, once you, you kind of set yourself up, but I always, I always laugh at those questions they ask you because like they pull out like the farthest reaches of knowledge that they have, like the most <laughs> random trivia facts. And it's like their experience. So it's like, who was the Patriots quarterback in 1968 that led the team to this, this wreck? I'm like, do you think I actually know like Patriots history, you know, in 1968, yeah, decades so before specific. I born? Right. And it's right. like, why is that relevant? It's not. <laughs> it's not. So that's why I really take into just, again, you just, you just listen. And yeah. I think it's something that you, you can get a kick out of, but I try not to take it too seriously. I think that's another overarching theme too, is just to not take it too seriously because you're going to drive yourself nuts if you're constantly trying to assert yourself to correct others to make sure that you know people know that you're you're there like you're going to drive yourself nuts because you're, you're going to come into this you know these situations as a woman in this industry that's just kind of inevitable so the more you can let roll off your shoulders and kind of pick your battles i think the better yeah that's some really good advice for sure um you mentioned wanting to be as close to the game as possible so what is your interaction like with the Bucks players and coaches, you know, what has it been like working for this organization? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's two different things in a COVID year versus a non-COVID year, unfortunately. And we're kind of going through the motions now of trying to figure out what it's going to look like for 2021. But what the Bucks have really afforded me and what's been a really like one of the greatest thrills of my job is actually getting to be around these guys and to learn the information from the source. So a big thing for me is as a journalist at this point, though, is to inform fans. I mean, I have a job because of fans and I want to disseminate information and, and stuff, really fun stuff about the team and the game itself to the fans. Um, and I'm in a very unique position where I can learn this kind of stuff from the source. So the coaches have really taken me under their wing in a lot of ways. Players have always been very gracious and giving me their time. Um, but yeah, I've learned so much. And again, like it goes back to not being the smartest person in the room. I just, I love being around the guys because they have so much knowledge and it's just so much fun for me to learn from them um, and then be able to talk about it and to be able to connect with fans in that way and hopefully have them either learn something or just be generally entertained by the content that we're putting out there. You worked for Arizona previously with the Bruce Arian staff as well. So what's it like having that kind of long-term relationship with this staff? Yeah, actually, so I wasn't there when Bruce was there. I was there right before it. Um, but what was the interesting connection, which is the very, so very first time I sat down with Bruce Arians, uh, I did a podcast. Well, at the time it was just a feature article, but it was a Q and A with him. And I went in his office. I sat down in front of him. He didn't know me from Eve. And I go, Hey, you owe me a Super Bowl." And he goes, what? 
And I was like, I was an intern for the Arizona Cardinals the year that they played the Steelers in 2009, the Super Bowl, which was in Raymond James Stadium. And that was the last time the Super Bowl was in Raymond James Stadium before this last year, which was a really weird, like kind of full circle moment for everybody. But um, the Cardinals were leading the Steelers, two and a half minutes left to go. Kurt Warner throws this beautiful pass to Larry Fitzgerald. He takes it into the end zone. There's two and a half minutes left on the clock and the ball is going back to Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger's offensive coordinator was Bruce Arians. And he engineered the most gut-wrenching drive I've ever seen to this day, got them down the field. And it's like the famous San Antonio Holmes tiptoe catch in the end zone. And I was absolutely crushed. And granted, I was like an intern, like a game day assistant, you know, for the Cardinals. I don't even know that I would have gotten a ring at that point. I would have, I mean, you would have hoped, but I was just so brutally crushed to have been there, to have been so close with the team. And so I told Bruce the story and he's like, I guess I owe you a Super Bowl and he delivered. So um, that was kind of what ingratiated me, I think, initially to him. And it led to a really good relationship that we have, the relationship that we have now uh, with him and his staff. So I got to know them kind of from scratch in 2019. And um, like I said, they've really been amazing and taking me under their wing and just being wonderful humans in general. I love this stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. That is an incredible story. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad you asked that, Carly. Yeah, I know, um, right? That's such a good story. Um, so that yeah. seems to be like one of your favorite memories. Is there a favorite, you know, project you worked on or article you've written while working for the book? There's been a lot, to be fair. Um, and what's funny is the way, I don't know why my brain works this way. Uh, I could forget things I write all the time. Like I write it, I get it out. And then like, a year down the road you can show me an article and tell me I wrote it and I'll be like oh okay did I <laughs> but um in more recent uh memory I did do and this is again with the coaching staff um the Bucks are the first team in NFL history to boast all minority coordinators so we have all African-American coordinators and I got to do a really cool piece about all four of them and just how they um kind of the, how the staff came to be assembled and and where that trust that Bruce has in them comes from um, and got to dive a little bit more into their backgrounds and, and, and do that. And I really think the piece came out really well and we put it out initially for uh, Black History Month a couple of years ago. And then this last year, um, it came out again right before the Super Bowl, we kind of resurfaced it. And just to tell the story because obviously it has nothing to do with the color of their skin. It's about the incredible resumes that these guys have. and. Um, Bruce always says, you know, trust, loyalty, and respect. Those are his three pillars. And so it's like, how did he come to have each one of those things with each one of these guys who are all incredible in their own right? So that was really a fun project for me. And then probably anything like, I don't know, where I've gotten to just humanize players or be able to tell the story of who they are as men, because we know what they can do on the field. But all these guys just have such incredible stories and it, it would be impossible to pick just one. Yeah, I think, I think like you touched on the story that you wrote about um, the four coordinators. I think anytime that you can, you know, tell someone's story and, you know, you do, your job is telling a story, which I think is so incredible. And, you know, telling the story of these four men and how far they've come and like what they've accomplished and now see, you know, they, have the Super Bowl under their their belt. It's super incredible. Um, and we want to, you know, ask you a little bit about your Super Bowl experience. You know, I was there too. And we all have, you know, these different <laughs> things that jump out to us from that day or that week yeah. even. Um, do you have a favorite memory from that day or maybe that week? Oh God. It was just, it was just one blur after the other. I just, I don't, remember sleeping that week I don't remember doing any work like I was still doing work in, in between like I feel like there were a couple of days that were lost between the actual game and then the parade like I know that there was two or three days that passed but I don't remember anything about those two days it was just all such a blur but um no I mean the Super Bowl itself didn't hit me as hard as I thought it was going to initially like when we when the Bucks won the NFC championship, I was in green Bay and I was in the press box and I was by myself essentially with like our beat writers who were next to me. So like Greg Allman, who writes for the athletic 
Rick Stroud writes for the Tampa Bay Times, but I wasn't around any of our people. And so um, when the Bucks won that game, I immediately broke down and I started sobbing, like sobbing. And I was just like, shoulders are shaking. I'm trying this is to, like, in the press box where you're not supposed to like show emotion. To, <laughs> you're not supposed to show emotion. You're not supposed to cheer. You're not supposed to, so I'm sitting like the entire game. I was like sitting on my hands, biting my tongue, trying not to like do anything. And then here I am supposed to be objective because we're in this press box setting. I'm in the Green Bay press box too, not ours. And I am just uncontrollably sobbing. And so it hit me like right then and there. But then when we won the Super Bowl or the Bucks won the Super Bowl, I was like, I had an, some initial like reaction, but it wasn't anything to that effect. It wasn't until like maybe a week after the parade, I was driving down Bayshore, which is this area in Tampa and it's right along the bay. So along the water, it's a really pretty drive and it was like sunset. And I remembered that they're on my bucket list. I have a couple different bucket lists. I have a career bucket list and I have a life bucket list. On the top of my career bucket list, and I don't know how I forgot about it until this moment in time when I was driving, but the top of it was to get a Super Bowl ring. And I had this realization that I'm getting one and we just did it. And I, that's when, that's when the waterworks hit. I had to like pull off like into some random parking lot. And I just sat there alternating between laughing and crying for like 20 minutes, <laughs> like, but it didn't happen until later. So, but that week in general, I mean, I, Carly, I don't know how much you've shared, but it was just like, it was so much fun. And plus it was the first time we all kind of got to be together again because of COVID just really, I mean, for as close as I am with the staff, with a lot of the players, with a lot of the support staff, personnel side, everyone that was on Carly's side, um, I didn't get to see them for eight months, nine months. And it's like all those coworkers are just ripped away from you. So that after party when like Ludacris performed and Migos, I was like bouncing all around. I was so happy. I was just like, I don't care. I'll keep a mask on. I just want to hug you, like whatever. And then the parade was just, was insane. I, I suffered a pretty big injury from the parade though that still exists. So <laughs> yeah, so I, got, I took a beer can to the, to the leg. Oh my uh, God. You showed me that. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It was worth it though. It was always percent. Oh, like you can see the imprint of the beer tab and everything from the top of it. And it's still like there's still an outline of it right now. It was just how many months later, but it was the guys kept telling me, they're like, it's your souvenir. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm so glad you shared that story because it, it literally made me emotional hearing that, just getting to cross that off your list. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. It's dumb that it wasn't even on my list because it's like, that was not in my control. Like, the Super Bowl ring is not in any one person's control. It's like, you have to be in the right place at the right time with the right team. Everything, there's so many things that have yeah. to go right. And it's just like, why was that even on my list? Like, I have no control. But it did, and here we are. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I can really, I mean, it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, if I get this, like, like that's, I've like made it or, you know, that's one of those yeah. things that you dream about. Right. You know, right. Like, players dream. aren't the only ones that dream about going to a Super Bowl. Like, exactly. You that confetti and you're like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. So we want to kind of pivot away from professional stuff. Um, and we want to ask you what you'd like to do in your free time, what kind of music you like to listen to, like anything fun that you like to do in kind of the, the time, the free time that you do get. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're trying to figure out the, how much I'm like, I keep thinking I'm going to get more than I do. And then like something else happens now this off season, but it's been an interesting one. Uh, no, I, well, I'm staring at uh, my Peloton bike right now. So I like spinning my spin, like my spin classes. I started in spin classes after I tore my ACL. And uh, playing flag football, which is embarrassing. Um, and then I got into spinning because it was the first thing I could do when I like was going through rehab. Um, but I read a lot and I read pretty much everything from like self-help books to like, again, I'm staring at like a couple of my Harry Potter books that are <laughs> sitting on my bookshelf um, or just some cheesy books and stuff like that. Music wise, I'm all over the place, but I slowly but surely feel myself turning into that older person that only listens to like their own music. Like I can't get into any of the new stuff as far as like rap goes. 
these little little Dirk and little Yachty and I'm like I don't they all sound the same to me and I don't like it like they're all just like mumbling over I'm like what this doesn't take talent and then I'm like oh my god this is what my parents said about like my music so I'm slowly but surely like yeah but I love like classic rock I have like playlists of for all kinds I think like my workout playlist is EDM super into rap and hip-hop but like the good rap and (laughs) hip-hop not the stuff that's coming out now I don't know I try to be as well-rounded of a person as possible but it's interesting when you work in sports like that's what dominates the conversation whenever you meet someone or you know when you go you haven't seen people in a while it's like how's working for the books how's I'm like "Ah, there's more to me than that (laughs) which kind of gets lost sometimes that's so true like that human aspect like me and Carly always say whenever you up that topic everyone glorifies it and thinks they just want to talk about like the courtside seats and all that so that's why it's nice to hear about like what you do in your personal life too obviously yeah Yeah. I appreciate the question (laughs) definitely yeah um so we're gonna wrap up where can people find you Carmen and your content Uh, yeah everything I write uh is published on buccaneers.com which is our team our team's official site and then uh, I'm also pretty active on social media. So you can find me, Carmi B, on Twitter and Instagram. And now, unfortunately, TikTok. TikTok. Carmen <laughs> is all about the reels lately. <laughs> yeah, they all originate in TikTok. I've started thinking, I've joked with my coworkers, I'm like, I started thinking in TikTok. And it's really because I just have insomnia and I go on these late night TikTok binges. And now it's like, stick yeah. in my head. So yeah, you're all, uh, you're everybody is, probably worse off for it but it happens now there's no going back yeah exactly so everyone go and find Carmen she has some awesome content and some awesome new TikToks um thank you so much Carmen this has been awesome we've really enjoyed your stories they were so incredible thank you thanks Thanks for having me I appreciate it That was such an incredible interview with Carmen. I had so much fun talking with her. Those stories were honestly amazing. I love that. Yeah, the story when she first interviewed BA was just so awesome. And it's just incredible how it just came full circle. Um, And honestly, it was like making me emotional. (laughs) It was. I felt myself tearing up. No, seriously, I really was too. Um, Yeah, it was awesome. So we hope that you guys enjoyed the interview as much as we did and that you enjoyed this episode. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Next Woman Up Podcast, on TikTok at Next Woman Up Podcast, on Twitter at Next Woman Up Pod. And you can always email us with anything you want to um, hear us talk about, any topics you want us to touch on, or any questions you have. Uh, next one up pod at gmail.com. So that's all from us, guys. We hope you enjoyed. See you next week. Bye. Bye.